Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and all state insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesco. Hey, Chet, the weeks keep clicking away. <laughs> there may be some good news on the coronavirus front. I hope maybe we're starting to turn the corner here. Yeah, it's possible this week is the flattening of the curve, as they say, in terms of new cases, which would certainly be welcome news, although there's still a long way to go before we can think about things getting back to relative normal. But, uh, yeah, there is some hope that we're getting on the right track anyway. In the meantime, Bill, before we go any further, we need to play our shelter-in-place social distance song (laughs) of the week. So this time around, let's go with uh, this one. Your hands still still. There you go. I got a bunch there of them. There you go. <laughs> Yo, well, all we can do is hope that this uh, this thing ends soon, so we don't have to keep listening to that. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> no, they're all good. They're all good. No problem. Hey, tonight uh, we got a special guest that's going to be with us here shortly. But they, uh, later on, Chet, you and I are going to pick our all-time favorite, not all-time best, or all-time favorite Phillies at each position. That's going to be a lot of fun. You know, and I was just going to do our favorite five or maybe our favorite eight Phillies or whatever, but you came up with the idea to do, to do it by position. So we're going to do 13 each, counting, you know, a right-handed pitcher, left-handed pitcher, same with the uh, closer or reliever and uh, one utility guy. So I think we're going to do 13 each. And even that was tough because – there were a lot of pretty fun Phillies to watch over the years. So it was fun doing that, and I have my list, and I'm sure you have yours. So that's going to be fun to talk about all that. It, it really is. And uh, like you say, it was not easy to do. And uh, I think I'm probably going to surprise you again with a couple of my uh, my picks. I'm sure you are. Maybe you'll have Bob Euchre on your list. Who knows? Well, I thought about you, and you know, of course, I thought about Freddie Galvis too, my one of my all-time favorites. But uh, <laughs> now I can assure you that those two did not make the list. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of bad players too that you remember occasionally too. But no, they will not be mentioned. Probably not anyway tonight. I hear you. Well, hey, we're going to hopefully get as much inside scoop tonight as there is with our special guest, the voice of the Phillies, Tom McCarthy. And uh, boy, Jeff, we oh, the other thing we want to remind our listeners tonight. That uh, to join Philly Press Box Radio Trivia Show immediately following this show on Facebook Live, which will be on my page, Bill Furman page. And tonight we're going to do one feed. We're not going to do the watch party. 
So you're going to have to actually be on the see it on my page when it pops up to get on it. We're, we're still trying to get the technical details worked out of that watch party. But Tom McCarthy first as uh, part of this show. We're going to pick our favorite Phillies. We're going to do Q2 week nine. And then we'll go to Facebook Live and do trivia. Let's get it going. We got our guest on the line. Let's do it. All right. With that said, let's welcome the voice of the Phillies soon. Again, we know it's going to happen. Tom McCarthy, welcome back, T-Mac. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, doing all right. Tom, uh, thanks for doing this. This is the sixth straight spring that you're joining us, but it's, of course, a lot different this year. No real baseball to discuss. <laughs> so let me tell you, Bill and I were both down in Clearwater on March 12th when all hell broke loose in the sports world. The Phil's Friday the 13th game that we were going to go to and all games after that were wiped out. The NBA and NHL shut things down. And as I understand it, you were just about to call some NCAA conference tournament games, if I'm not mistaken. How did it go down for you that crazy week? Yeah, I, I was uh, I was actually watching the uh, I had my my computer on. I had the Big Ten tournament on my computer, and I had the A ten tournament on the television down in spring training. Uh, the Phillies were either off or on the road the day that uh, things started changing, and all of a sudden, uh, Dave Rebson from the Big Ten Network said, "Ladies and gentlemen, this is unprecedented. Today's game, or this tournament, the Big Ten tournament, is canceled because of the." COVID-19, they never, you know, they, they kind of uh, said it differently than we're saying it now. Um, yeah, it was really weird. So I stayed down for a couple of days. Oh, and, and, and subsequently, as I'm watching games, everything else is canceled except for the first round of the Big East. Yeah. And then, um, you know, then eventually, obviously, every college basketball tournament that was played, postseason tournament, was, was postponed. I stayed down an extra few days in spring training because Major League Baseball followed suit after that. And uh, my son was still playing over on the East Coast in his independent league spring training. Uh, so I waited for him, and then we headed home. But it was weird because I went to the ballpark. I went to, um, I went to the Philly spring training facility, and it was eerily quiet. The only thing you could mm-hmm. hear was the tick, tick, tick of the sprinkler system. That was it. Nobody <laughs> was there. Yeah. Um, it was really odd. And, you know, I- I've never seen anything like that before. I don't think any of us have. And I don't think any of us want to see that uh, again. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's weird. The whole thing is weird. Well, and, and as we move forward, certainly sometime we're going to move forward here. Uh, I'm sure Major League Baseball has a plan for whether it's May 1st, June 1st, July 1st, or whatever it's going to be. Uh, what would you see, uh, Tom, as a, as a plan moving out of, say, let's just say hypothetically, we can start playing ball on June 1st. Oof. June 1st, I think, will be tough. Um, the only way I think we could play on June 1st is if we do uh, what Major League Baseball has been sort of whispering about, and that's everybody going to one area. Now, that's logistically pretty difficult. I mean, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would think that's really the only way you can do it. I, I don't I don't even think that will work right away. But because, I, you know, People talk about, well, you can go back to Florida and then teams can go back to Arizona. Well, Florida is a mess right now. Uh, I don't know how Arizona is, honestly. I mean, it's weird because it's, you know, we're on the East Coast, they're on the West Coast. We, It's hard to kind of follow what everybody else is doing. That's the only way I can see us getting started on June 1st. I, listen, I hope we do in some way, shape, or form. You know, the players are playing and maybe we're in a studio broadcasting the games. Um 
but I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't know. I I do think that Major League Baseball was very genuine with what they said on Tuesday, that everything is on the table, that there's not one idea that's not on the table, because I think they had to answer the questions about whether the Arizona thought was, in reality, a thought. Um, and, again, their feeling was that everything was on the table, that they're kind of considering all different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even even if they get something going by July 1st, it's going to be with everything having to you know break right ahead of that in terms of you know testing for everybody and a degree of certainty that nobody else is going to get sick after that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Tom, assuming there is a baseball season, we talked to both Fransky and L.A. back in late February, early March, and like most Phils fans, there are still questions about the pitching staff. They had those concerns as well. We all assume Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler will be fine, but after that, we just don't know. What do you expect from guys like Arietta, Pavetta, Eflin, Velasquez, and Suarez, if he's in there, whoever else is in the rotation? Yeah, I, I actually think it's going to be Suarez, the number five guy, um, and I think it'll be Arietta three, obviously, and then I think Eflin will be the number four, but I think there's a revolving door that could that could occur uh, four, four, and five as the year goes on, but I do think Ranger Suarez, at least the way things work, at the end of spring training, uh, would be the number five starter. And the reason I think that is because, you know, the, the, the moves the Phillies have made, the acquisition of Liriano in particular, can free up Ranger Suarez to go into the rotation. Uh, I agree with Scott and Larry. I think that's the biggest question the Phillies have is their pitching staff. Uh, I'm not sure if they can hold up compared to the Nationals, the Mets, and the Braves in the division. Uh, I do think there is, you know, there's no doubt if they they need to, they'll go out and get somebody at the trade deadline. But then again, who is it that they would go out and get? Um, that, to me, is the biggest question. But to me, it, it'll be Nola, it'll be Wheeler, Arietta, Eflin, and I think it'll be Ranger Suarez. But I could be way wrong with that. I do think that Velasquez and Pavetta threw better in spring training this year. The And, and the only reason I say Suarez because he's so different than anything the Phillies have, and I think he can get guys out. Well, Tom, tying the, those last two questions together, uh, do you see as we, whenever we get to play ball, uh, going back to a spring training for two, three, four weeks, and and then of course that pitching situation sorts itself out with more innings and and a real spring training. These, I mean, they're not going to run these guys out and and just let them play. Yeah, I, I cannot it being a, a normal spring training. Um, I can see it being some semblance of spring training where guys get a chance to you know build up their arm strength again. But don't forget, Major League Baseball has floated out the idea of having 29 players on the roster mm-hmm. and at, at least to start. And I think that is in particular because they want to make sure that if pitchers aren't ready, then they can get ready as the year goes on. So what I mean by that is that, you know, they can throw three innings and then they go to the bullpen or throw four innings and then they can go to the bullpen. It won't be five or six, you know, depending on what the team is and what the style of the team is. So I think that's part of it uh, when it comes to the success uh, or the limitations when it comes to spring training. Mm-hmm. All right, Tom, a two-part question for you. What are your initial impressions of Joe Girardi, the Phil's new skipper? And he's gone now. You can come clean. What did you really think of Gabe Kapler? 
<laughs> well, I like Gabe. I'll start, that, start with that. I, I like Gabe as a person. I really did. I, I mean, I, I still text with him back and forth. I think he's genuinely a nice person. He is. Um, I do think that the Phillies have made a step in the right direction, a step forward in the manager's job. I, I don't think – listen, Gabe could be good with the Giants because he's had two years of experience. Um, I just don't think he was experienced enough to be a manager, particularly in the Philadelphia area. And I, what I mean by that is that there's certain things that go along with being a manager in the Philadelphia, New York, Boston areas. Uh, it's different than anywhere else. I, I don't care what anybody says. And I think that, and I don't think this was totally his fault at all. I think that the mandate was analytics, analytics, analytics. And he took that to heart. Um, so I like him as a person. I just texted with him a couple of days ago to see how he was doing. And I, you know, I hope he's successful. I'm surprised he got a job that quickly, but I'm hoping he's successful. Uh, and then on the flip side, I think the Phillies, the best acquisition they made this offseason was hiring Joe, uh, Joe Girardi and Brian Price in yeah. those particular positions. I think that the Phillies have, A, gotten a winner, got a decision maker, a decisive decision maker, and a guy that, even if it gets bristled from time to time, can handle everything that's thrown his way. Yeah, and you mentioned Brian Price. It seemed a little uh, unprecedented that Darren Nola and some of those guys kind of kind of ripped the last staff and uh, because of the great change to this staff. Did you find that a little unusual that the players were so vocal about not liking what they had before and liking a lot more what they have now? No, I don't think so. I, I actually took it a, a different way. I, I, I think that they just like what they have now. It's a balance. I, I think that the previous pitching coach, Chris Young, again, was really young to be a pitching coach as far as experience goes. He wasn't young as a person, but he was young as an experience goes. So he was, he was headlong analytics. But it, it takes more than that to be, I think, a successful coach. I think it takes a balance of handling the numbers and then being able to implement them to the physical abilities of each different player. And I think what Brian Price brings is experience. He was a manager also. But he was, before he became the manager of the Reds, he was considered by many to be the best pitching coach in all of Major League Baseball. So I think he brings balance, and I think he has the ability to, to use the analytics to his advantage but then implement those to just the physical abilities of a particular pitcher. And I think that's good. I think that you need to be able to do that. So, you know, I'm excited for him. I really am. I'm excited for what he's going to bring, and I'm excited for what, you know, what he's going to bring to these young pitchers. Yeah, I hope we get to see it uh, at some point. Hey, Tom, if you asked Phillies fans about their favorite memory of last season and their favorite T-Mac call, I have a hunch about 98% of them would go with this one from last August 15th with the bases loaded and Bryce Harper at the plate. 2-2 two two with the bases loaded and one out. Oh, my God. Deep to right field. Way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk-off home run. Bryce Harper. Great job by you, Tom, and quite a moment, wasn't it? It was. um you know, to me, it was my favorite call. I mean, partly because of who hit it, but also because of the moment, and it was the Cubs, uh, even though the Cubs weren't, you know, the, the best team in the National League last year. 
there was energy at the ballpark. There was a Diplo concert that was going on afterwards, so it added a few more people. Uh, it was, you know, to me, I think what added to it was the natural reaction by John, by John Crump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. that was huge. I mean, people always say that analysts aren't supposed to step on the play-by-play guys. Well, first of all, <laughs> I, I don't think me or Scott care about that. But I think that was so natural that it actually added to the call and to the moment. You it know, did, that yeah. was, you know, that that was uh, that was just John being John. So it was cool. <laughs> Loved it. It was, you know, Tom. That's one. Uh, you know, twenty years from now, they're still going to be playing back. You know, like some of Harry's old uh, calls. That's going to be the team yeah. call, I think. You know, it's funny. People said, "Did you plan that call?" And I was like, "Well, how are you going to plan that call?" It was, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, late in the game. I, I don't plan anything that I say. I really don't. And, and part of it, people ask me because I said way up there and way out of here, like Harry used to call. And I said, "Well, that was just." That was just sheer luck and rhythm more than anything else that it, it went out that way. I, I have no idea what's coming out, you know, when I make calls like that. I, I just was happy that I was able to, you know, kind of show the the emotion of the moment without going way over the top with it, to be honest with you. It was great. It was great. Hey, Tom, I well, think, you. Uh, you know, I don't know that the Phils have done enough to to improve their stock to, to win a win a division, but – I think if they're going to compete at a high level, it all has to fall back on Reese Hoskins getting his things together and uh, and having the kind of year with Harper that we think he can have. Did you see any changes in Reese in the short spring training time down there? Any difference in his swing or anything going on? Well, I think the whole setup was different. I, I do think that when he got to the ball, it was sort of similar to, you know, when he was successful. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think he put a lot of pressure on himself last year. I'm not going to make any excuses for Reese. I mean, he would never want me to because that's not who he is. But I think he put a lot of pressure on himself last year because of the acquisition of Harper uh, to kind of be that one-two punch. And I, I'm not saying it, got, it, it overwhelmed him, but I think he thought a lot as the year went on. And, you know, we all have habits that we have, guys. I mean, you know, I have habits that I would love to break. You guys probably have habits that you'd love to break, too. I think he got into a habit with his swing that wasn't his swing, and he could not get out of it. And he tried everything. I mean, he did. He tried everything to try to get out of what he was supposed to do or what he was doing to kind of get back to where he was successful. I do think Joe Dillon will help him. I think that he, you know, John Bailey was very popular with the players, even though the Phillies got rid of him and brought Charlie in. He was really popular with the players. And I, I, I do think that it bothered Reese when he was let go. He'll never say that because he loves Charlie so much, as we all do. Uh, but I do think that he, you know, that, that, that the different voice helped a lot of guys. I don't know if it helped Reese. And I think that Joe Dillon will help Reese. I think, it's a, again, just like Brian Price, it's a really good balance of numbers and technique to be successful. Yeah, I hope. Uh, hey, before I forget, Tom, Mark Eccles said, hope, yeah. Yeah, Mark Eccles <laughs> said to say hello. He's doing well down in South Carolina. And I don't know where this might go, but he said to ask you about stopping at Bobby Valentine's Restaurant in Connecticut on the way to a Princeton-Yale <laughs> game. So what's that about? Yeah, so uh, it was me, Jerry Price, and Mark Eccles. We went to, uh, I think somebody else was with us. I don't remember who else was with us. But we were we stopped at Bobby Valentine's Restaurant for uh, for lunch slash dinner before the Yale Princeton game, as we would normally do, and Bobby was there, 
And Bobby could not have been nicer. And all of a sudden, we looked over, and Bobby was on his hands and knees with, a, I guess, a spatula of some sort. And he's scrubbing the floor. There was something. It was gum or something that was stuck on the floor. And we're like, Bobby, what are you doing? He goes, well, somebody's got to clean this up. I can't ask somebody else to do it if, <laughs> if I'm not going to do it. But that's basically, it was really funny. I mean, it was just, he's sitting there, and he was, he was all kinds of fired up about what was on the floor, and he was down there cleaning it. It was very funny. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, you know, you like that. If a guy's not going to ask somebody to do something he wouldn't do, you got to certainly admire that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, and he was in the middle of everything at that point. Like, he was, you know, he was the Mets manager. He had a whole lot of crap going on at that point. It was really, really funny. Wow. Well, hey, Tom, as we move into baseball summer and into the fall, what do you have lined up for your fall schedule? You still, you're going to do NFL as well? well your guess is as good as mine at this point. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on how long baseball goes, whether I'm able to do football for, for CBS and for Westwood One. I mean, the Phillies are my foundation piece. They're, that's where my loyalty is, first and foremost. So if we go deep into the postseason or if Major League Baseball goes deep in October, I don't know how much football I'm going to be able to do, which, I mean, it is disappointing. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's one of those things you kind of have to juggle – when you try to do as many sports as I do, and I don't do as much as I used to. I, I still do a lot of I, – I do all three sports. I just don't do as many games. Um, you kind of have to juggle. And the Phillies are really good about it. I mean, they are unbelievable about me being able to do other games. Uh, and I'm very appreciative of that. But, you know, it depends on what's, how long baseball is going to go and, and when we get started more than anything else. All right, T-Mac, last thing, and this will be the toughest question from us all night, I think. Later in the show, Bill and I are going to talk about our favorite Phillies to watch over the years. Not necessarily the best players, just favorites for whatever reason. So give me three or four of your all-time favorite Phils to watch play. Well, I, 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 to me it's easy. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy. It, one's going to be really obscure. Uh, so I'll start with him. It's Jeff Francoeur, and it's because mm-hmm. I just like him as a person more than anything else. He's one of the best people that I've been around, and he's just an amazing person. But, you know, the others, I mean, J-Roll is, uh, J-Roll and Ryan Howard are my two favorites uh, to be around, to cover, to, you know, to watch play. I would throw Shane Victorino in there also. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's that group for me anyway that really is, you know, but it's hard, guys, because Jim Tomey was part of, you know, yeah. my first go-around with the Phillies, and I love Jim, and I love being around him. But, you know, Dan Plesak was the same way. But I would have to say J-Roll Ryan and Shane Victorito are my three favorites, and then you throw Jeff Rancor in there, too, just because of the person he is. Not bad. Very good. Well, Tom, I think we have taken up your time. We certainly enjoy you coming by, and uh, we appreciate it. It's great stuff, and let, let's get playing baseball soon, we hope. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's, uh, you know, I'm doing these 10 minutes with T-Mac, which I've really enjoyed. They're on the YouTube channel, uh, but I would love to be able to call oh, play-by-play cool. play of games going. I'll check that out. You great. betcha. All right, well, since, since you mentioned that, where where can the listeners uh, go to find you if you've got that kind of stuff going on? I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah, so, yeah, so you can go to the Phillies YouTube page. It's, it's pretty easy. You just go to YouTube and uh, and just put in the search bar, you put in the Phillies, and it'll pop on up. You know, there's two that have been out right now. The third one is coming out. It's with um, it's with Rod Woodson. But the first two are with Jay Wright and then Jim Gott. Jim Gott's our bullpen coach. Yep. Uh, we didn't really talk about bullpen stuff as much, maybe the first couple of questions, but 
we talked about him being a consultant on the movie The Rookie. And, um, you know, he taught Dennis Quaid how to pitch in that oh, movie. Wow. Oh, rookie. wow. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. But the other guy, other guys I've talked to, um, I've talked to David Boreanaz, who is, you know, from SEAL Team and Bones yep. and Buffy yep. the Vampire Slayer and huge Phillies fan. And uh, last night I talked to Miles Teller, who's also a huge Phillies fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Martelli has been one of the guests. And uh, Chris Wheeler we I had on just to kind of talk about the 40th anniversary of the Phillies. Um, yeah, it's been good. We, I've done about 10 of them, and uh, they'll run for the next few weeks while we're waiting for baseball to get going. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, one final thing, uh, Tom. We had one of your broadcast buddies on with us last week. Uh, Ray Fossey joined us, and, man, what a what a treat he was. Yeah, I can only imagine the stories that he, <laughs> he could have told. Uh, <laughs> Just as a just as a player and a and a broadcaster, I mean he yeah. he has seen so much, and you know, I mean he was a hard nosed player, as we all know from the Pete Rose play and everything oh, like yeah. that. I mean he that changed that changed his life. He would have been, you know, there's some people that think he would have been a Hall of Fame catcher if not for that shoulder injury. Yeah, well he he was great with his stories. I tell you what, everyone he told another Hall of Famer popped up. It was unbelievable uh, the, sure the things he's seen. Uh, Fifty I'm years. Sure it did. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. Uh, great time. Thanks, great time. Tom. All right, Tom. Well, we appreciate you joining us. All right. Have a good night, guys. Take care. Thanks. Well, hey, Chet, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. All-state insurance in Westchester, PA. Yes, indeed, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania at 610-430-0700. Once again, 610-430-0700. And you know, Bill, it was 50 years ago this Friday that Paul McCartney told everybody that he said it in a note that the Beatles had officially split up. Fifty years, wow. Fifty years, nineteen seventy. Where's the time going, Chet? Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, hey, uh, we're winding this down. It's week nine of Random Q2. Tell the listeners how this works. Let's do it. we got just two weeks to go, so I guess I only have two more numbers to pick. You got it, Bill. Year four of Random Q2, and this is the penultimate week. I love the word penultimate. As was the case in previous years, Random Q2 is our fun 10-week series in the winter and early spring that over a two-minute period or so each week, I hit you with two questions. One is about a current sports topic, if possible. The second question, one of 10 random questions that have already been written down weeks ago about whatever, and that's when you get to pick a number. So here we go. This week's first question, Bill, there were four current or former Eagles named to the NFL's all-decade team, Fletcher Cox, Jason Peters, LaShawn McCoy, and Darren Sproles, but not Jason Kelsey. The center has been an all-pro three times and with just one overlap, a Pro Bowl selection three times. The centers chosen ahead of him are two very good ones, Marquise Pouncey and Alex Mack, the, uh, Alex Mack, the latter of who has never been an all-pro. 
So that being the case, is Jason Kelsey, Kelsey getting, you know, dissed here? And is he worthy of Hall of Fame consideration, Kelsey? Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think he can go up against Pouncey for sure. Um, Mac, I'm really surprised. I haven't seen this list, so so you're surprising me a little bit. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, you know, Kelsey, the last three or four years has just been phenomenal. But if you recall, there was a year or two before that, he was a little nicked up, and he did not have to have a great year. And there were some people that were after his head a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he got it straightened out. And you know, if it was a, if it was a last five year team, there'd be no question. Kelsey probably be at the top of that list. Um, so yeah, I would say he's getting dissed a little bit, but you know, I, again, I don't really know the other, the other guy's body of work. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping he would be on that team though, but eh, it's not up to us anyway, for your but, second question. But I will oh, tell you this, yes, since yes. you mentioned Marquise Pouncey, I coached against Marquise Pouncey in high school. He was pretty good. Really? How about that? You yeah, know, he's Lake, a good one. He played at Lakeland, Lakeland high school and, uh, he played, one of them, I don't know. Michael Pouncey played guard, and Marquise played tackle. They played side by side, whichever one was the guard to tackle. And the very next year, they were starting at the University of Florida. Hmm. So yeah, they, and uh, and uh, Flor- uh, Lakeland High School won the mythical state championship or national championship uh, two or three years in a row, and won the state championship three years in a row with those two guys. A lot of good players out of that area down there. All right, for your oh, second yeah, so. question, Bill, as in past years, you get to pick a number, and you have just two left, as you know. Uh, you get to pick from these two numbers, four and nine. What's it going to be? Uh, let's go with number nine. <laughs> okay. This is the, the one real silly one that I throw in there because I always have a silly one or two in there. Uh, the first uh-huh. name, Bill, that comes to mind when I say, name a female 1970s sex symbol other than Farrah Fawcett. You know who I really like, Chet? Who's that? How about how about that Susan Anton? Wow. There's a name I didn't expect. Yeah, I remember Susan Anton. I probably had her poster, too. Susan Anton. She was... Uh, nice, yeah, skinny she blonde. Was pretty, pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, I, yep. and uh, yeah, she was on a bunch of commercials back yep. in that oh, day. Yeah. The ones I had written down and uh, thought you might answer, I had Cheryl Teagues, Raquel Welsh, Cheryl Ladd, yep. and Linda Carter. All good choices, but Susan Anton's not bad, too. And actually, uh, I, I didn't think of the last two, but I was I did think of the others and thought they might have been more 60s and 70s. So I, I guess I'm, yeah. I'm a little confused. Well, Ra- Raquel, Welsh, Raquel Welsh came on the scene in the 60s, certainly, but she was still very popular in the 70s. Cheryl Teague's oh, yeah. didn't come on the scene till the mid-70s. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I'm good with all that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Carry on, Bill. All right. One more week. That we have a random Q2. You know. So we'll knock it out. It's been fun. Hey, Jet, uh, we've had a lot of fun picking our favorite Sixers. We did the Eagles. And now it's the Phillies, and this was tough. Boy. And uh, let's see how this goes. This was beyond tough. Even though there have been a lot of bad Phillies teams over the last 50-plus years, there have also been lots of very good ones with some good, fun-to-watch players. And, heck, even some of the bad teams of the late 60s and early 70s and other eras had some memorable, likable players. So, as we said at the top, this was tough. Yeah, and, you know, I kind of got, uh, you know, you kind of gravitate to the better players. 
you know, because obviously watching a guy hit home runs is fun. Yeah. Um, so, so I think my list is, is more lean toward that. Although, yeah, which made you had to leave some guys out that I really liked that were fun guys. You know what I mean? I'm with you. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We'll go back and forth position by position. We'll do eight, you know, eight position players, one utility player. That's kind of an extra guy because there was probably a handful of extra guys. A lefty and a righty starter and a lefty and righty reliever, 13 total players. You ready? I'm not ready, but the agenda says that I have to be ready, and it's time to do it, so let's do it. Start out with right field, Jeff. All right. A right fielder for me, I'm going to go with a guy who hit 324 in his four years with the Phils between 93 and 96. He was well-liked by everybody. Izzy, Jim Eisenreich. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure I know who your right fielder is going to be, but mine is Jim Eisenreich. Jim Eisenreich. Good good choice. Good guy. Well, I'm going all the way back to the kids' days, Chet, and I got to go with one of my all-time favorite Phillies, and that was that Johnny Callis. I he knew was it, my guy. When I, I knew was a it. Kid. <laughs> I had that written down already. Johnny Callison is your right. You know, I almost thought of uh, going with Bobby Abreu because I thought he got a bad deal from a lot of the fans. Abreu was a solid player, and he almost made my choice for right field. But I went with Izzy. You went with Johnny Callison. And, and you know who else I, I liked, but uh, and I was actually going to try to sneak him into center field, uh, but I didn't, was uh, Jason Worth. I, I, I really like Jason Worth. He was next on my list also, so there you go. There, there right. you go. Center, center field. field, let's do it. Ah, uh, the guy's been a bit of a head case since leaving the game and was something of a jerk even when he played by most accounts, but there was no denying he gave it all every single night when it was game time. So many clutch hits for those 93 fills. Always fun to watch. He hit 289 during his time in Philly. Great leadoff hitter. A wacko. Nails. Lenny Dykstra is my center fielder. Well, you know, I I thought a lot about Lenny. And, you know, he's still, besides he's a nut after he played here, yeah. he was a Met before he played here. Yes. And, and that just gets me going the wrong direction. So, <laughs> I had to go with that Gary Lee Maddox in center field. Just no getting around it. He could do it all. And, uh, you know, what they say, two-thirds of the of the earth is covered by water and the other third is covered by Gary Maddox. There you go. Not a bad choice. All right. All right. Left, field, left field. You might think I would say the bull, Greg Lazinski, but nope. I'm going to go with a guy who played some left, some center, some right, some first base during his time with the Phils. Eight or nine years worth. He hit 272 as a fill and averaged about 23 stolen bases per season in Philly. Mr. Five for One, Von Hayes, I'm going to put in left. Interesting. Interesting. I would have never, never got that one from you, but <laughs> because I went with the Bull. Okay. Uh, just the massive power that he had at the plate. Fun to watch. Um, you know, I, I think his knees ended up costing him. Uh, a chance to have a much better batting average as a uh, as a hitter, and the fact that they put him in left field and told him to cover everything from you to the foul line, and Maddox will cover the rest. Um, you know, he wasn't very good defensively, but he could sure hit the hit the ball with some power. So I'm going with the bull at third base or at left field, and he makes a good sandwich too. <laughs> yes, he does. All right, look, I'm going. Uh, let's go third base now. 
Look, Bill, Mike Schmidt is the greatest third baseman ever in Major League Baseball. There's no denying that, and he would be most people's choice as their favorite fill for third base. But my favorite player as a kid, a guy who started out as a third baseman and, in fact, was rookie yeah. of the year in 64, hit all those mammoth home runs over his first six seasons in Philly, and that's when I started watching them, not 64, but around 66. I watched him from 66 through 69 as a fill. Then when he came back later in the mid-70s, Richie Dick Allen is my third baseman. Well, and you sure can't go wrong with that, uh, except I'm going to go with the guy who is the best third baseman in the history of baseball, uh-huh. and that would be that Michael Jack Schmidt. And, it, and the only real difference, big difference to me, Chet, was uh, the defensive side of the way Schmidt played. Schmidt Schmidt could just do absolutely everything. If Allen had a weakness, it was on defense, uh, but certainly fun to watch. And uh, not nothing wrong with Dick Allen, and hoping he gets to the whole thing. Yeah, I hope so too. And and I can't certainly you know knock your choice of Mike Schmidt, the greatest third baseman of all time. So not bad. All right, shortstop. Shortstop. All right, let's go. We all loved Larry Boa during our formative years, Bill. But my favorite Phillies shortstop would have to be. No, not Freddie Galvis, the guy who was so good in the mid-2000s, winning an MVP award and a key member of the 2008 championship team, the Phil's all-time hits leader now. He surpassed Mike Schmidt, of course. Jimmy Rollins is my shortstop. Well, you know, Jimmy Rollins is the easy pick, Chet. But here, here's my knock on Rollins and why I went with Larry Boa. How's that? Okay. Uh, Larry Boa was not that great of a player. But Larry Boa worked his tail end off every single day and became a pretty darn solid player with more, actually more all-star game appearances than Jimmy Rollins. Uh, statistically, all the numbers go towards Jimmy. Uh, but I just love the passion that Larry Boa bought to the park every day. And what I didn't like about Jimmy was after he won that MVP, I thought, you know, I, I thought his performance went down. I thought he got lazy. I thought he started to try to hit home runs too much. And he wasn't as good a player at the end of his career as he was to get to the to that MVP and World Series time. So Larry Bowe is my guy. Okay. I can't argue with you. Second base. Second base. I have two guys here, Bill. I, I couldn't pick just one. I love this guy from 74. Oh, yeah, you could. Yeah, I love this guy from 74 through 76 when he was a fill and made the all-star team each of those years. The Yes, we can, man. A 296 hitter as a fill, Dave Cash. But yeah, he's going to have to share second base honors with a more recent fill, a six-time all-star, and a guy who's popular with every Phil's fan in this century. That, of course, is Chase Utley. So, you know, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Utley, but I loved Dave Cash and Chase Utley. Well, it's funny you said that because I did have to pick one, and I took Dave Cash. Oh. Uh, yeah, he was my guy. You you really surprised me with that. And the, the thing you missed out as you were running through Cash's numbers there, I believe he had, in all three years, three 200-hit seasons in each yeah. of those years, I believe. Yeah, like six hundred and I want to say six hundred eighteen hits in three years, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, his best three years in the majors, I think, were those three years with the Phils. Not what he did in Pittsburgh or Montreal. He was great as a Philly. I wish they would have kept him. Yes, we can. First base. Oh man, this was the toughest <laughs> of all positions to pick a favorite with so many great names, including Pete Rose, John Cruck, Jim Tomey, and of course Ryan Howard. You could throw Dick Allen in there too because he played first base much of the time. But I already chose him for third base, but. 
Bill, my favorite Phillies first baseman is that guy who got all Phil's attention or Phil's fans' attention in 1971 when he played first base and was so much. He had so much flair doing it while also belting 30 homers and had 99 ribbies. <laughs> Finished second in Rookie of the Year voting. We had him on the show last year. Willie the Philly, Willie Montanez is my first baseman. Ah, good one, good one. I, I kind of thought you might go there, but I didn't know where you were going to put Dick Allen. So I knew he, Dick Allen was going to be on your team. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm going kind of with the obvious. I'm going with Ryan Howard. I think uh, what he did in a five or six-year Fan um, eclipses everybody from the home run standpoint, even Mike Schmidt. And uh, unfortunately, Ryan Ryan's ending here, you know, puts him out of the elite category because he got hurt. I don't think fans yeah. look at him as being as great of a, a player as he was. And we don't win a World Series without Ryan Howard. And uh, you know, just like Dick Allen and Mike Schmidt, Greg Luzinski was, you know, you stopped at the TV when he was at the plate because you never knew what was going to happen. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of good choices there. But uh, uh, Montanez and Howard, not bad. All right, catcher. We all loved Booney. We all loved Chooch. And I told you once before, I loved the name anyway, Clay Dalrymple. He's not my choice, though. (laughs) And since JT Real Muto has been here just one year, I can't go with him yet. Uh, The obvious choice for me, because he was such a super guy and a great leader, the king of the clubhouse on that terrific 93 team, the late, great Darren Dutch Dalton is my catcher. I thought you were going with Mike Lieberthal there. Uh, No, definitely not. All right. Well, my catcher is, uh, again, probably an obvious one. Great handler of the pitchers, caught all those no-hitters, caught a perfect game. Um, Another... um, solid piece of the the greatest run in Philly's history, and that's Chooch. Carlos Ruiz is my guy. Ah, see, I thought you were going to go with Bob Boone, but uh, yeah, Chooch is certainly a great choice. All right, Yeah, you, I like Boone. Utility guy? Utility guy. Ah, he was a starter much of his time while a Philly, but for the purpose of this list, my utility guy is going to be that wacky outfielder Jay Johnstone. <laughs> well, you know, Jay is on my, my extra list that I have down here, but uh, my utility guy is not necessarily a utility guy. He's my extra person in my lineup. He's my designated hitter, I guess, rather than my utility man, and that has to be Pete Rose. You can't have a team and not have Pete Rose on it. Again, fun to watch every night. You knew what you were going to get, and it was all out every night. And uh, just love to watch Pete play, just the shame – He's not the kind of person to go along with the kind of player that he was. Plus, he could play like three infield positions and three outfield positions. So, yeah, he is a utility guy in that sense. Pete Rose. Right. All right. All right. All right let's go right-handed pitcher. Wow, this was tough. Um, I mean, the two obvious choices for me, anyway, were Kurt Schilling and Roy Halladay. Because he was here longer, and I just really enjoyed watching him back in the 90s. Kurt Schilling gets my vote. Well, that surprises me, too, because uh, I have Kurt Schilling as well. Whoa. Uh, Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the only other thing I was where I was going to go, and Halliday just didn't play enough here, but I, I was going to go all the way back to that Jim Bunning back in the days, and uh, but I, I just didn't reach back that far. And another guy that I like to see pitch back in the day, a right-hander, was that Jim Lonborg. 
Yeah. I kind of liked him back in the day. Yep. That's but I went with Schilling. Me too. So that brings you to the left-handed pitcher. I thought briefly about Terry Mulholland because I sat at a bar with him once on Delaware Avenue and had a couple of beers <laughs> one night in 1992, and that was interesting. Uh, Cole Hamels, of course, was great as a fill as well. Robbie Ellis's choice, but there's no denying the obvious choice for folks our age, Bill. The lefty pitcher that is called lefty, the great Steve Carlton, of course. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, when when Lefty went to the hill, something special was going to happen most of the time. And uh, what what a thrill it was for us as fans to be able to get to watch him as often as we did. Uh, no doubt, Steve Carlton. All right, and my two relievers, Bill, I'm going to go uh, with Tug McGraw as my lefty. And the right-hander, a lot of choices. I thought about Bedrosian. I thought about some other guys, but Brad Lidge, of course, mainly just for what he did in 2008. So Tug McGraw and Brad Lidge. Well, it's hard to believe, Chet, that we picked those two the same. All four pitchers, we picked the same. It's kind yeah. of hard to believe. But, you know, uh, you're right. A lot of good pitchers, uh, relief pitchers. But 48 out of 48 in the season puts Lidge at the very top of my fandom list. Uh, to to be perfect for an entire season is just phenomenal. Of course, Tug was Tug, and uh, if he wanted anything else, he was fun, that's for sure. And I should mention that I put this out on Facebook uh, yesterday, Tuesday morning, asking you know our listeners and our followers who they would vote for, who their favorite five were, and here's the order, and this is probably not surprising. Number one, the most mentioned name as a favorite was Michael Jack Schmidt. Number two, lefty, Steve Carlton. Number three, Chase Utley. Number four was Ryan Howard. And fifth, there was a tie between Dick Allen and Dutch Dalton. So there you go. No Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy That's Rollins was uh, next on the list, right behind Allen and Dalton. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You know, a couple names, that, uh, another name, you mentioned Jay Johnstone. That was one. The other one that... That I really liked, but I just couldn't find a place for him on our team. Was that Richie Hebner? Remember him? <laughs> oh, yeah, the third baseman, the grave digger. The hacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jet, good stuff. Uh, we still have to do a Flyers list, and that ain't going to be easy either. Yeah, we're going to save that till May because I'm going to have a, a Flyer join us at some point, and that will probably be pushed back to May at this point. So, uh, hang on to that for a few weeks before you start thinking about it, and then we'll do that in May. Well, I tell you what, maybe I will challenge you a little bit more then, Chet, since uh, I didn't know you wanted to hold off on that. Okay. There's a post going around, and I actually put a little picture up of it um, that the Sports Museum put up. Maybe we'll go with our Mount Rushmore, Chet, our Mount Rushmore of Philadelphia sports. That means, what, four, five? Let's go with five total. Yeah, I mean, yeah, five total. Mount Rushmore, I guess, is four, the official one. But if we go five, yeah, that's going to be really changed, tough. I just changed it to five, though. Really, <laughs> really tough. That's right. Let's challenge ourselves, and uh, let's get ready for that. All right. All right. Well, hey, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page, so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. Mm-hmm. 
But, Chad, we had a lot of fun talking baseball, Phil's baseball with T-Mac tonight. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? We are on a baseball roll, Bill. Next week, even more baseball talk and a little more Dick Allen talk, too, because we're going to be joined for the very first time by the guy who runs the Dick Allen Belongs in the Hall of Fame campaign on Facebook and elsewhere. He's a former longtime Phil's grounds crew guy who befriended Dick Allen way back in the day. He goes by the name Frog, real name Mark Carfagno, will be joining us live next week. Very good. Very good. Looking forward to that. Never had Frog before. Nope. That's great. All right. Well, hey, Chet, um, we've never done a segment like this before, and I, honestly, I hope we never do one again. Uh, people we've been watching for years and through our childhood have passed away at an alarming rate this week. We're going to call this the Rest in Peace segment. <laughs> Yes, we are. Uh, It's been a horrible week, Bill, with some of the deaths attributable to the still-spreading COVID-19 outbreak, some of them to other issues. The coronavirus blamed for the loss of entertainers, including Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne, the band that sang Stacey's Mom, New Orleans jazz musician Ellis Marsalis, father of Branford and Wynton Marsalis, and yesterday folk and country singer John Prine. Separately, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Bill Withers died early last week, although it wasn't reported till last Thursday. Great singer of songs like Lean on Me, Ain't No Sunshine, Lovely Day, and many others. So rest in peace to all those guys. And then in the sports world, several notable deaths, including Mr. Tiger, Al Kaline, and a couple that hit old Philly sports fans like you and me pretty hard, Bill. You know who I'm talking about, Tom Dempsey and Timmy Brown. And by the way, Ray Didinger was on WIP today, and he talked about both of those guys. And here's 30 seconds on each of those former Eagles from Ray Didinger. I mean, everybody remembers Demps for the 63-yard field goal when he was in New Orleans in 1970. But Demps was a great guy. Everybody knows about his disability. You know, he was born without a right hand, and he was born with only half a right foot. But he had a, he had a great father I had met, who I met. His father's name was Huey. And was a rough, tough kind of oil field worker guy who told Tommy from a very early age that, hey, listen, you're no different than any other kid. I don't want to hear you say, I can't. You want to play, you want to go out and you compete, you go out and compete. You're no different than anybody else. And that was the attitude Tommy took through life. And listen, he came here and he gave the Eagles some good years. Timmy Brown is one of the really outstanding players in Eagles history. It's unfortunate that his best years were in the mid-60s when the Eagles were a dreadful team. And for folks that never got to see Timmy play, in your mind's eye, just get a picture of Marshall Falk. And imagine Marshall Falk playing at Franklin Field, because that's what he was. I mean, he was one of the first of the backs that was great running the ball and great catching the ball. And, you know, two years in a row led the the National Football League in all-purpose yardage. And still, to this day, in the history of the Eagles franchise, he has the highest yards per touch of any Eagles player, six and a half yards per touch, which is almost a full yard better than Brian Westbrook. And we all know how good Brian Westbrook was. All right, so that was Ray Didinger on WIP today. Thank you, WIP, for courtesy of that you know, soundbite. And, Bill, if I'm not mistaken, you're wearing your Timmy Brown jersey right now, so what are your memories of uh, Timmy Brown? Well, you know, uh, I was actually at that game in, against the Dallas Cowboys in 1966 when uh, I was just a kid, and Timmy Brown ran back two kickoffs for touchdowns in that game. Uh, that's probably why I became a fan of his. I was seven, seven years old, eight years old, um, you know, and the Eagles ended up winning that game 24 to 23, as it turned out, uh, Timmy Brown with the two kick returns and Aaron Martin, another name blast from the past yep. also returned a punt in that game for a touchdown. And that's how the Eagles got their 21 points and, and beat the Cowboys 24, 23. So, um, uh, that was the biggest thing, um, Chad. And then of course, 
he was the best player on some awful teams. And um, I, I like Ray's analogy of watching Marshall Falk. I think if uh, if Timmy didn't play for such bad teams, he would have been, you know, much more thought of and been, you know, certainly a Hall of Fame type of running back. He was that good. And and also, Jet, did you know that uh, he came out of Ball State and played for the Packers, uh, got drafted by Vince Lombardi yeah. and the Packers, and got cut by Lombardi. 59, yeah. Yep. And yep. Uh, so. I should mention that that game you were at happened to be, you were eight years old. It was my ninth birthday, November 6th of 1966, believe it or not. There you go. And, and I, I was, just turned eight years old. I yep. was watching, yep. Yep, kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, and Al Kaline, you know, living in Lakeland and, and the Tigers training in Lakeland, I got to uh, see Al all the time. He was always around town. He was always around the ballpark, around Tiger Town. And uh, Tiger Town actually sits on Al Kaline Drive. Um, it is the name of the road as you go into the ballpark. And uh, certainly a baseball legend, 3,000 hit man. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about elite players in the game of baseball. Uh, Al Kaline's name is certainly one of them. Oh yeah, those late '60s Tigers teams were great with you know him and Norm Cash and the pitching of you know, Mickey Lolich and uh, Denny McLean. So uh, Al Kaline will certainly be missed by all. And Tom Dempsey, we all know Tom Dempsey from the the field goal from the Saints, 63 yarder, and then his years with the Eagles. Uh, so he had some health issues in recent years. Rest in peace, Tom Dempsey. Yeah, you know, and I, I never had a chance to actually meet Tom, but, you know, when we've had Bill Bradley, the Eagles oh, yeah. Bill Bradley on the show with us, uh, and telling telling him and Demps stories uh, kind of made you feel like you knew you knew Demps and, uh, and what you did know about him, he's a heck of a character. Mm-hmm. And, Bill, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we also lost an actress who was a Bond girl way back when, her name Honor Blackman, but in the movie Goldfinger she was Pussy Galore. I don't think I quite understood the ramifications of that name in the mid-60s when I was a kid, but I eventually figured it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave that one there. There you go. All right, parting, parting shot for you tonight. Well, one basketball note first. Brian Colangelo apparently interviewed uh, with the Chicago Bulls for their head of basketball operations job. I'd be shocked if he gets it, but uh, Sixers fans are having a lot of fun with that thought, Brian Colangelo getting back in the game. Anyway, uh, my parting shot, I know you're not a huge NBA fan anymore, but this year's Naismith Hall of Fame class is a real impressive one. It's headed by 18-time NBA All-Star and five-time NBA champion Kobe Bryant, and two guys who were each 15-time NBA All-Star selections, Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. Among the other inductees are a couple of legends going in as coaches, four-time National Coach of the Year Eddie Sutton and two-time NBA champion coach Rudy Tomjanovich. Not too shabby. They will be inducted up in Springfield, Massachusetts, assuming we get past this coronavirus thing, in late August. So congrats to all. It, and yeah, absolutely. All great at what they did, for sure. Did did Dawn Stanley get in all of it? I don't think she did. I know uh, Harvey Catching's daughter got in. I think Staley's already in, isn't she? Is she? I was thinking she was up this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, Tamika Catching's got in. Okay. Yes, yeah, she's in this year. Uh, all right. Anything else for you before we cut it loose? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Enjoy your uh, right. quiet times here as the lockdown continues. And, uh, oh, happy Passover to all our Jewish friends. And, of course, it's Easter week, so happy Easter week, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and all that stuff. Hope everybody, it's not going to be the same this year, but, you know, good wishes to all. 
Yep, and don't forget, uh, here in four minutes, we're going to jump over to Facebook, yes. to my Facebook page, and we're going to do Philly Press Box Philly Trivia uh, here from 8 to 8.30. So come on over and join us on Facebook, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. Absolutely. Wrap it up, Bill. Uh, all right, let's do it. We'd like to thank our special guest, Tom McCarthy, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. PPCC 118 Razroom and Dave Lavoie of Allstate Insurance of Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesko, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April 15th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts, Bullhorn, Player FM, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and others. Stay healthy, most importantly, and high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Bill Herman and Jim Chet Chesco. They're good dudes. They're good dudes. They're good dudes.